Hey there, beautiful people. Welcome to Fans High, the podcast for all those complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I'm entertainment journalist and editor and author and all these other things, Travel Anderson. Ooh, author. And I prefer Delta because I'm uppity and comfort plus is almost like first class. Jared Hill, <laughs> getting ready for vacation. Uh, coming up on the show today, it is almost National Coming Out Day. And so we wanted to have a conversation about coming out. Uh, we'll be talking about our coming out stories, what we love and what we hate about it. But first, we got to get into what... <laughs> Which Ravel has spelled here as vaccine, spelled like Maxine, but with a V. Is that not how you spell vaccine? Don't it's, say that. Don't answer Okay. That. I was like, uh, okay. It was a joke. <laughs> was it? Okay. Uh, for today's Pass the Popcorn, we want to talk a little bit about Miss Funky Covidina. We obviously just had a conversation about Nicki Minaj, but wanted to have a little bit more conversation about it, about something that happened to me recently. Um, and I've not really known what to expect of it. I actually think this is a bit of Pass the Popcorn and maybe a little bit of a tough question. Um, I recently went to a dinner. I had traveled for an event and uh, it was a bunch of journalists in the room. And we're all because he be traveling, y'all. We're we're all sitting around at dinner. And this is like the first night and people start introducing themselves and they say, hi, my name is uh, I do X thing. I'm vaccinated. And like with the hands up, just so people know that they're vaccinated kind of thing. <laughs> um, and then like and then pass it on to the next person. And then like the next person was like, I'm so-and-so, I do X, Y, Z. I'm vaccinated, team Moderna. And then like the whole table went around and did that. And I just thought to myself, like I was probably the fourth or fifth person. And I was like, I mean, I'm vaccinated. And like, I've, you know, we've talked about it on the show multiple times and on all social media, but like, it feels weird to just like bring up as an introduction of who you are. And it kind of strikes me as like, something that's becoming class adjacent, but maybe not a class. But does that make sense? It's like a weird thing because I, I think about the folks that like are decidedly not vaccinated or either because they don't want to get vaccinated or they have, you know, some kind of compromise that, that makes them unable to get vaccinated yet or whatever. I was taken aback by it. And I, I was wondering what you think. So to you, it feels as if, vaccination status is becoming something that is exclusionary to some people and inclusionary to others and therefore it feels like a a, a budding class of class divide but not class like a class divide along vaccination lines is what you're saying yeah i'm gonna call it class adjacent but not class like maybe it's coarse but not a class. <laughs> I don't know. It just it just strikes me as as an interesting way to introduce our ourselves. And like even on the dating app, like there's a, a thing that you can fill and say vaccinated, and it will say that you're hmm. you are a vaccinated person. And it's like, oh well, I'm a Christian woman. I don't know nothing about them apps. Thank you for for brushing me up, bringing me up to speed on you're that. You're saying this to the person who literally wrote your last profile, bitch. Do not do it no, with you me. Did it. I totally wrote your profile on, was it Bumble that you were on a couple of years ago? If I had a profile, this was like three years ago. I wrote some banshee shit and you were like, okay. And you posted it. And I was like, wait, I was joking. That sounds like right, actually. That sounds very right. I remember we were in the car. Anyway, but the question was, everybody at this event, I'm, I'm assuming, because you said y'all had to travel to this event. I'm assuming y'all had to be vaccinated to attend the event or no. Yes. Right. Okay, right. So it is odd to me that everyone would introduce themselves and their vaccination status if it was a requirement for you all to 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 be there. That was an element of it for me that was weird too, yes. That said, I do feel like we're in this moment now where like people have to figure out ways to be in space with other folks again, mm -hmm. right? Like we haven't done that for a year and a half for the most part, right? Um, and... What we know is that you are safer unmasked around people who are vaccinated than you are folks who are not. Mm -hmm. And so I say all that to say, I don't think I feel or see 
what you're bringing up in terms of like this this potential like divide if you will that's popping up um in 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 culture um because so many of these events and stuff you can be there unvaccinated as long as you have a negative covid test from within 2 days prior in some of these places yeah right some of these places right and so there there is another there is an opportunity for folks who are unvaccinated to still be in that space now does somebody else saying they are vaccinated make you feel like you have to say your vax status then then we can talk about like you know the that community conversation piece right and the the people why people might feel obligated to respond um in that particular way um but i'm i'm reticent to say that there's like a budding class situation at hand mainly because it feels very much like a conservative talking point right it feels like an anti-vaxxer talking point Mm. um oh so i'm I'm Tucker Carlson now. That's not what I said. That's what I heard. But if that's how you identify, I make space for you. (laughs) (laughs) Shut the fuck up. If that's how you identify, I make space for you. What did did Char say? In the name of space and grace, honey. Space and grace. Listen, I love it. Well, so I, I, that's why I say it's class adjacent. And like, I do kind of get what you mean about it feeling like a conservative talking point, even though I kind of want to hit you in the throat with the side of my hand. <laughs> um, but like, I, I guess one of the interesting things that also just came out, you know, vaccinated folks are 65% less likely to be transmitting. Uh, I believe that's how the, the status was. But like, there's a lot of new data that's coming out now that people have been on the vaccine for a while mm-hmm. about how effective it is with the alpha variant versus the, de- the delta, but it's effective against both. Um, But I guess for me, like to your other question was like, you know, how do we like, do you feel required to then share your VAC status? Right. I feel like in that instance, if you if everyone is supposed to be vaccinated and like six people have said that they were vaccinated and then you don't mention it. And then the next person and then somebody's going to be like, (laughs) "Uh, excuse me, sis. So are you not vaccinated? You know what I mean? Like, it's awkward. That's real. It reminds me of, this reminds me of something. um, So everybody knows that we're active in in NABJ and National Association of Black Journalists. And our president, Dorothy, told me this um, the other day. She attended the RTDNA conference, Mm -hmm. which was in Denver a couple weeks ago. And the lanyards that they had for people's badges, they had three different lanyards, red, yellow, and green. Green was, you can come up and hug me. Yellow was ask first. Red was don't touch me. Right. Um, as a means of, 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 I guess, you know, accommodating people's comfort level in space. So for those that don't know, RT DNA is the radio television digital news association. And it's like the idea of being like in space with other people in like a conference setting or like, I mean, you and I are part of coordinating a conference that we'll be having next year. Right. And like, Mm -hmm. we have all of these questions about what we should or should not have or what, how much space we can have and what is it going to look like in March or April versus now? And do we need to have a contingency? You know what I mean? Like there's all of these questions, but I'm also thinking about it from the, the, um, the space of like access, right? Like whether or not you have the vaccination, um, you know, determines where you can and can't go now. And like, to be clear, like, I was very happy that everyone said that they were vaccinated because it made me feel comfortable, mm-hmm. right? This was a couple of months ago. It was my first time traveling. But it also felt like, huh, this is interesting. This is this is going to be interesting to see evolve. And now that like we're seeing more and more places that are requiring people to be vaccinated before they can come in, or now that the FDA has approved it from the their like full study, now like jobs are requiring people to be vaccinated to go back in. I'm just like curious what the long-term ramifications are of that. California has a mandate. I think all all students uh, will be required to to be vaccinated. That came out a couple weeks ago. Is that college students? No, all grade school students okay. who, who qualify, who are eligible, uh, will be required. Right. Um, and California, we should say, is one of the states with the most uh, stringent, um, you know, COVID protocols. 
but also some of the lowest transmission. Exactly, right? So you know, hey, 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 hey. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think it's still the conversation point, right? And I think there, there is an element of exclusion, mm-hmm. right, that is at play. And I think we want to believe that said exclusion is like a, a personal decision. Like you made the decision to get vaccinated or not vaccinated. And because you made the decision for, for most people, that's fine. You can make that decision, but you can't come to this event. Right. Sorry, sis. And, and that, feel, that feels to me like a difference than what you're articulating in terms of like this class thing. Right now, there are always, you know, exceptions to the rule. There are always the folks, right, who can't get vaccinated um, um, or, you know, for whatever reason, the vaccination hasn't come to their community yet. Right. In an accessible manner, because, um, you know, the folks in the flyover states still still are having issues with that. If we think about it from the global perspective, right, like Africa and the people of Africa aren't even expect, expected to get it for another year or two and that kind of thing. Anyway, we're way over time here and I don't want to keep us too long. I'd love to know if y'all, how y'all are thinking about this. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram, uh, hashtag FantiFam. Uh, I don't think I'm off base here. I'm just not really sure how to how to feel about it, what to do uh, when folks feel like they need to come out about their vaccine status. Speaking of coming out. I see what you did there. You see, you see, I felt really <laughs> good about it before I did it. Let's go to break because I'm getting on my own damn nerve. Everyone needs an escape, but those can be hard to come by right now. Enter Dipsy. Let yourself get lost in a world where good things happen and where your pleasure is the only priority. I think I'm killing this right now. Do you? (laughs) Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. They release new content every single week, so there's always more to explore, no matter what you're into or who turns you on, or who you're into and what turns you on, like I was supposed to say it. And if you need to wind down, Dipsy also has wellness sessions, sensual bedtime stories, and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. I always love Dipsy uh, talking about these stories because they're so exciting. For listeners of this show, they have a special offer extending 30 days of a free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash fanti. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A-Stories.com slash Fanti. That's DipsyStories.com slash Fanti. All righty, all righty. Welcome back. Now, the great songwriter once said, I'm coming out. I want the world to know, got to let it show. The way you just read that was so obnoxious. <laughs> now, Diana Ross, the boss, likely didn't know she'd be soundtracking the lives of so many queer people. That was in 1980. Nearly a decade later, in 1988, Robert Eichberg and Jean O'Leary inaugurated the first National Coming Out Day. They didn't want to respond to anti-queer hate in a defensive manner, and so they... <laughs> sorry i'm over here just thinking to myself like what if diana ross came out and was like i didn't want them faggots using my song <laughs> like it was like really homophobic <laughs> that'd be amazing right sorry go on finish what is wrong with you okay so robert eichberg and gene o'leary they didn't want to respond to the anti-queer hate of the time in a defensive manner and so they thought that having a singular day where lgbtq people could celebrate living out loud and self-love and acceptance was a positive alternative they chose the date of october 11th as it was the anniversary of the 1987 national march on washington for lesbian and gay rights so now in advance of this year's coming out out day all right we coming to you you know four or five days before coming out day we wanted to talk about the practice of coming out and our complex and complicado feelings about it all before jared and i share our coming stories which are super juicy you know um we got a voice memo from a listener a member of the fanti fam talking about a little bit of their fan and anti feelings around coming out take a listen Hey, Travel and Jared, it's Ray Love Jr. coming in hot from MIA to LA. Hey. <laughs> 
So I just wanted to weigh in really quickly on the topic of coming out experiences. So as someone who doesn't have my own coming out story, I really do love when we hear those positive stories from folks sharing that moment they mustered up the courage to tell their family about who they know themselves to be. In the best of case of those scenarios, it's usually an affirming, liberating space. But on the anti of that, I don't like the expectation of having to tell others your business. Why does it matter who you choose to love? Also, our heterosexual counterparts don't have to deal with the anxiety and angst that comes with having to build up to that moment, telling people something that you know could or could not go over well. So that's all I have to share. I love you guys. Uh, we should say Ray is a, a friend of ours that we work with over at ADBJLA. Um, uh, there's so much to talk about here. And we're going to get into everything that, that Ray mentioned. But first, let us both share our coming out stories. Um, Jared, why don't you start us off? Well, the year was 1962. Oh, really? Is that what we're doing? Okay. You know what? I don't have to take this. Um, my coming out story, jeez uh, Louise. Um, I liked the boy when I was six years old, but I didn't know that I liked the boy, right? I just knew that he was pretty and I wanted to be his friend. As an adult, we refer to that as attraction. Yes. Um, but I wanted to be his friend, right? Um, I think he's like a big old chump supporter now, so kudos to that. I didn't have language for it until I was about 10 when I saw Greg Luganis on the Oprah Winfrey show talking about being gay and having HIV and like mm -hmm. being ridiculed and all that kind of stuff. And at 10 years old, I was like, oh, that's what I am, right? And then I spent the next nine years like trying to deny it to other people and to myself and all of this that I didn't even really have the language for. Um, and then when I was 19, I written a letter to my mom on Thanksgiving night. I was living with my dad at the time. It was four pages. And it was like, you know, I'm I'm gay, you know, I'm still the same person. I actually just got the letter again because I'm working on a, a book project and like I wanted to read it. And my mom had just moved and so she had it like readily available. They kept it? Yeah, she did. Wow. Um, she kept the letter and like, so anyway, I drove over to my mom's house to put the letter into the mailbox um, in this envelope or whatever. And as I was pulling up Thanksgiving night, it was like late after everyone's parties and all that kind of stuff. Um, and as I was pulling up to their house, they were pulling up her, my stepdad and my brother, I think my brother and my sister might've been there. And so then I just had to kind of play it off. Like I was just coming to see them and I was like, Hey y'all. And like, ended up putting it into my glove compartment and kept it for another four months. Wow. Um, at that time I was living with my mom again and I put it on her door at night on her bedroom door, uh, and went to bed. And then the next morning she had like come into my room trying to be quiet to not wake me up. Um, but she was trying to grab something out of there. Um, and then that woke me up and she was like, oh, excuse me, sorry. And like kind of goes back out. And I heard her close her bedroom door and like sat up in bed because if she had closed the door, that meant she saw the door and she'd gotten the note. Mm -hmm. um, it Short version is I grew up in a very Christian family, as we've talked about here before. Um, and like, it was not well received in my family. My mom did tell me, you know, I love you and I, all of that. And she was like, but we need to be praying about this. And I believed all of that, which followed me into a really, you know, difficult depression, which as an adult now, I feel clear that like that period in my life was a, a period of depression that I didn't have the name for back then. Um, and then I guess the end of that period for me was a few months, maybe after having come out, um, I was like really depressed up and down. And I, I just said a prayer because it was always about God and faith Hallelujah! and said, you know, God, I've been asking you to take this away for years and years and years and years. Oh wait, no hallelujah. I take the hallelujah. Well, <laughs> yes, yeah, take it Lord. Take it now, Jesus. <laughs> Even now. I thought it was a different prayer. My bad. Well, no, but the prayer was, you know, I've been praying for you to take this away for years and years and years and you haven't done it. And I'm clear that it's something that I can't do, right? And so I trust and believe, but not trust and believe, <laughs> but I trust and I believe that if it is something that you want to take away from me, that you'll do it in your own time. But I don't believe that this is how you would want me to live, feeling so 
depressed and excited and then sad and then having a great day and then a terrible day. I don't think that's what you would have for me. And so, and like, I released it that day and it's, it's been good since then for me. Amen. Um, should we take up offering or do you want to go for yours? Well, I don't got no money. Well, damn. So I'll go. So my coming out story also involves a letter. I was a sophomore or junior at Morehouse. Oh, wait, I should say I have known that I was not uh, heterosexual mm-hmm. um, since four years old. Didn't know, didn't have the language to articulate it at four years old, but I knew and had had, you know, the same similar to what you were talking about with the people in first grade. Like I had a I had a very specific situation happen when I was um, four. Nothing traumatic. Um but that mm. cued me in, okay? And then immediately after that situation, I'm saving it for the memoir. Stay tuned. I was going to say, every time you mention this, you say, I'm going to put it in the book. You'll have to wait. You have to wait, goddammit. it. Um, and so immediately after that, uh, my grandmother, who I was living with at the time, um, she was a pastor, Dorothy Holmes, of God's Tabernacle of Prayer, Church of Christian Fellowship in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, and long story short, the next the next Sunday at church, after church. This is at four years also? This this is at that age, yes. Um, let's just say that they tried to pray the gay away. And so for the next 10 years or so, this is something that Monique, we've talked about Monique before. Monique was my therapist that I was seeing before. This is something that Monique cued me into. But for the next 10 years or so, I don't really remember what happened in that block of time. Can we can we pause there for just one second? Because I know we have like new listeners from the Black Party and stuff like that tuning in. Travel has told this part of their story so many times that I actually believe it now. You thought I was lying? Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But like <laughs> Travel has like this blocked out period of childhood that I'm like, ooh, some therapist is gonna open that up at some point and I'm gonna have to have my bosom ready. Come on, sugar. Right. So I don't really remember anything from like four, like let's say I'll say five to fifteen-ish. Um but what I can tell you is that when I was in high school, I had a girlfriend, you know, lost my virginity to her and everything. It was great. Um, and then when I was at Morehouse, um, my mom and my grandmother and my little sister, they were living in Columbus, Georgia, um, near the military base there. And my mother was being ch- her duty station was changing to somewhere in Kansas. And so they were driving through Atlanta to get to Kansas to drop off the keys to the house so that I, because I would be the closest one, could go, you know, check on the house every other weekend or so, make sure anybody broke in and nothing, you know, foolish stuff like that. Mm -hmm. In the literal 30 seconds of seeing them, them dropping off the keys to me, we were at a gas station. My grandmother apparently saw something in my spirit or in my body. She saw that demon. She saw <laughs> she saw something, okay? And then, like, a week or two weeks later, I get a letter from her mm. at school. And in this letter, she reads me to feel, honey, and she says that, listen, all you gay, if you are gay, you are going to hell. You are no longer a good role model for your little sister. I used to put you on a pedestal, and now that pedestal has a crack in it. All this other stuff. Oh, my God. And so as you could imagine... Young Trayvell Anderson is like, I know this winch didn't. I love my grandmother, rest in peace. But that's how I felt in the moment. I said, I know this winch didn't. And so, you know, I got on my little laptop and I typed out a letter responding myself. And I said, you know what? If I'm going to hell, you're going to hell too because X, Y, Z, L, M, N, O, P. And I'm not even coming home for Thanksgiving. And you know what? I know you live with my mama and you're going to show her this letter. So if she don't want me to come home for Christmas either, I ain't going to come home for Christmas either. Y'all let me know how y'all want to play this. Sent it off. And I never got a response. At least I thought I did not get a response. I did not speak to my family for about a month and a half. Thanksgiving passed. And then on December 1st, I'm walking into an event on campus and my mother calls me. Mind you, haven't spoken to them in like a month and a half. And she calls me and she's like, you know, you need to be home for Christmas. I read the letter and you need to apologize to your grandmother. Because you made her cry and da 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 And I tell my mama, well, I will come home for Christmas because you have now told me that I have to. But I'm not apologizing. Mm. Now, 
Christmas happens. Nobody talks about it. Everything's fine. Okay. Or quote unquote fine. You know how black people do. Um, But then I get back to school after Christmas break and I get a letter. And this letter apparently was sent back to me from my grandmother a week after I sent her my first letter. But I never got it because I was, you know, you know, when you work at the school and you use one of the, uh, if you use a, a school endorsed envelope through the school mail, you don't have to pay for postage. And so I had used a, a, an envelope from the housing department. Okay, Joanne, I didn't know about this, Sam. <laughs> so I had used a, a, an envelope from the housing department to send the letter. And so my grandmother put that information on the letter that she sent back to me. And so the letter was waiting in the housing department for three months or whatever. Now, I don't remember what her letter said back to me. It doesn't matter at this point. Um, but that was that was my, my coming out situation. And it was one of those things that like me and my grandmother never talked about it. Me and my mama ha- didn't talk about it until uh, Christmas this past year. And I'll just leave the story there. Uh, so that's my coming out. Yikes. First, we're going to do our traditional fan and anti breakdown here. Let us start with what we like, love, appreciate it perhaps about this idea of coming out. You go first. Um, I love what that moment can be for people who get to do it on their own, you know, kind of on their own terms and all that kind of stuff. And when it, you know, ends in a desirable way for them. Um, because I know for me, you know, I had spent nine years like in denial and trying to deny it to other people and, um, you know, fighting with myself about it and trying to be with a girl and that never really happened. Still a gold star. Congratulations. You want a cookie? Not particularly. Cause I don't think I'm going to stay a gold star. Different conversation for a different Ooh, day. Ooh, how you doing? I mean, you know. Slurp, slurp. Okay. <laughs> This episode is really out of control. Um, but no, I, what, I love, what I love about being able to come out when you want to is that you get to have some agency in that, right? Um, and like, it can be a, a really defining moment, again, for the person who gets to choose it and that it goes the way that they want it to be for them. I have like a, a mixed appreciation for how it, that landmark is in my life, though, in my own story, just because like, it's very like before and after that happened. Um, and like, it was just a very jarring time for me. Um, and I was really, really, I had a really, really hard time, um, dealing with it right afterward, but I'm grateful that I had built a group of friends around me at that point already that were queer and made, made me feel safe. Um, shout out to Andy and Jocelyn and David. Um, and like, I just, you know, they were my, my friend group and it was really important that I had that support system. And if I didn't have it, I don't know what I would have done. Um, cause like that was in that year or two prior to me coming out, that was the first time that I ever thought about killing myself and like really starting to feel like I would just rather not be here and it would be so much easier. Um, and we know that, you know, queer youth and teens have are like four times more likely to commit suicide or something like that. So, um, but yeah, those are like the main things that I think about more so being able to have like the, the power to have that moment for yourself, if you would so choose in that it goes well. Um, what about you? I mean, <clears throat> it's really interesting when we're talking about coming out because I feel like even just the overarching idea of coming out makes us feel like we're hiding, makes us feel like we are, you know, um, keeping something secret from the rest of the world. And as we're coming into ourselves, I never, I, I never felt like I was hiding but I felt like the world was making me feel like I was hiding and therefore coming out was um, kind of liberating. When you say the the world made you feel like you were hiding, can you unpack that? Because I don't understand what you mean. Well, I mean, you look on TV, you look in the movies, you look, you look literally everywhere, right? Our society makes a big to-do about queer people, you know, just living our lives. Right. And so I feel like for me, I knew I also grew up in a Christian, you know, family. Um, and it was very clear 
that being gay was not something you were supposed to be, um, let alone, you know, trans, non-binary, et cetera, honey, okay? And then, so it's it was the, the Christian, um, how Christianity manifested in my lived experience, as well as, as media and pop culture, right? I'm thinking of the ways in which, like, it was taboo to be openly gay, for a long time, right? Um, and there were very limited um, examples of gay people in public. And even those gay people, particularly black gay people, there was always this, they were the comedic relief. They were the sassy best friend. They were the fashion queen. You know, it was always this very specific idea of how you could exist as a, as a gay person. And I knew that I was not that. And so I felt like the world made me feel like I was hiding. And therefore, when I came out, particularly to my family, there felt like there was some sort of liberation. There felt like there was some sort of freedom. Um, but I realize now that like that's, that's some bullshit, right? Like, I only felt free because the world made me feel bound, right? Um, and, and, and so, like, that's a little complex, but it's, like, more on the fan side. Um, and then I, to the point you made, I think there was so much community that I found on the other side of, of self-acceptance, um, which for me, self-acceptance and coming out, right, aren't necessarily the same thing um, because, you know, being at Morehouse, the, the gay boys at Morehouse recognized my queerness and named my queerness for me before I even did it myself. Like I knew in my head, but I wasn't sharing that with nobody, you know? Um, and so there was a, a big old community that I feel like I was able to access um, and to discover. And then in particular, the emotional connection that I feel like we as queer people, particularly black queer people have um, is, is, is unmatched right um and it 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 kind of helps soothe whatever challenges or strife or whatever we might experience when we do come out um and so like those are the things that i think of when i think of like you know the 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 things that i appreciate about you have to come out as gay but then you also had to come out or evolve or like when we're mm -hmm. talking about gender how did mm -hmm. that Go. It didn't go. I don't think I ever really came out as as like non-binary or trans. I think my family started seeing pictures pop up on social media of me in heels and getting my nails painted and wearing braids. And that just was what it was. Um, because at that point in my life, and this would have been when I, um, this would have been after I graduated Morehouse when I was in grad school at Stanford. I'm sorry. When you, where'd you go? I hate you so much. <laughs> I, I didn't hear it. I went to Stanford. Oh, uh, Stanford. Stanford, yeah. Stanford. Oh, for grad school. I hate you so much. But I feel it, for me in grad school, like I took out all the loans myself. I paid for all of my bills. And so the, that kind of financial tethering that I had to my mom in particular in my family in undergrad was completely severed. And so like I wasn't caring about what they saw on social media and how they took that, right? And then I didn't really, I think I said this on the show, I did not have a conversation with my mom or my sister about like pronouns and shit until this past Christmas, a Christmas uh, 2020. Um, I don't know. Post-grad school, I was like, I'm living my life and, you know, it is what it is, right? But now I'm moving to this space where, like, even, um, like, I want even my family to use gender-neutral pronouns with me, right? All before, I was cool with them saying he, and it was it was fine. But now I'm transitioning to a different space. Well, I just, I the gender journey piece of it is interesting when we're thinking about coming out because coming out is a a thing that is about sexuality or always has been about sexuality, whereas, you know, the gender journey is not about sexuality at all, even though they get um, melted together all the time. There are trans people, right, who have to come out as trans, right, who, who, are, who are told at least they have to come out as trans to whomever. Well, even for, like, more specifically with, like, the non-binary experience, though, I've had at least two friends in the last year or year and a half 
have, that have like changed their pronouns and, and identify as non-binary now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was interesting to me. And like one of them, I've had like a lot of conversation with them about it. It was interesting to hear the ways that they had to realize that, you know, to accept and appreciate that that's what mm-hmm. they were they were feeling all of this time. Um, but didn't have a name for it, right? And so right. the way that people find out that they're gay is usually seemingly very different than, uh, as a, as from what I've seen so far, very different than the way that people find out or identify differently when it comes to gender. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think obviously, right, you know, the, the disclaimer for this entire episode, right, and most of our conversations is that, like, one individual's experience is not necessarily everyone's experience, blah 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 but I do think it, c- it can be different for some people, um, but I think it can also be very, very similar for, for a lot of folks. Um, but we probably should move to the anti- um side of this discussion i uh, there's a few things that I, I i really get annoyed with with the concept of coming out um i hate i mean <laughs> no but like the turmoil of being in the closet which i think might be the antithesis of what i'm supposed to be talking about in this side but like the being in the closet for me and again as travel was saying everyone's experience is different um but like being in the closet for me I think was really what um, was the catalyst for like depression for me as an adult Um, and like through my teen years. And I've only really started to understand that in the last, you know, few months here Um, and being like, oh, I think that like having to like know something was true about myself when I was six, but not be able to say it out loud, but not even know why I wouldn't say it out loud, but knowing that I shouldn't. I think that was like, that's where that kind of started for me, um, really starting to feel like, oh, you know, I I can't be myself or whatever. Um, And so I really hate just the turmoil about being in the closet and how difficult that can be. Um, I get frustrated with the conversation that people have with, um, well, you know, straight people don't have to do it. So why do we have to do it? On one level, I agree with that because like we shouldn't have to, it's really not anyone's business necessarily so much as like, you know, it's a part of your experience. And if you share with people, you share it with people. But then that also starts to feel like the DL niggas who, you know, I remember from the Atlanta days, right? Where it's like, it ain't nobody's business who I'm sleeping with. But like, whenever I hear people say like, well, straight people don't have to, I'm always like reminding people that like all things aren't equal, right? We do that same thing with like, well, black people will be like, well, white people don't have to do X, Y, Z. Well, yeah, all things aren't equal. Hmm. So wait, 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 I need to clarify. Are you saying that you, that you are taking issue with the retort that queer people shouldn't have to come out because straight people don't have to come out? No, I guess I'm, I get more frustrated that people even have to have that argument with themselves. Hmm. Right. Or like have to figure out where to be on it. Right. We are, you know, different than the majority of people. And like, it's just a, it's a frustrating thing to kind of have to hold. Mm -hmm. Um, I also really don't like the prescribed responsibility of people in the public eye to have to come out because they think it's hot goss about their, you know, their sexuality, whether or not they acknowledge it, right? I think the most obvious example is always Queen Latifah, right? And so like this idea that, well, she, there are people who are like, oh, she needs to come out because it'd be so liberating to people and it would be so transformative and she's such a star and blah, 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 blah. But like, I hate that as a reason to come out, right? Like, if that is why you want to come out, do it. But like the idea that you have to do it to liberate other people if it's not something that you're comfortable with sharing with people, fuck that, right? Like, if you don't want to come out, you don't have to come out. Well, so it's interesting with celebrities in particular, right? Because there is an element of this that is just about, like, personal privacy, right? Like, and not in terms of privacy, in terms of I'm closeted, but privacy in terms of I don't want my partner or my kids or whomever to, you know, be subjected to the scrutiny of public opinion and press, right? And it is interesting when you think about that, because I I automatically go to, when I think about celebrities, I go to the ways in which coming out is 
glamorized and commercialized for folks who have a certain level of access um, or a certain level of, of privilege and how, you know, when I came out, I didn't get a Nike deal. I didn't, you know, get, you know, the rainbow. I forget, I forget what kind of shoes it was. But when, when Niecy Nash and Jessica Betts, you know, quote unquote came out, I'm using th- that term loosely here because Niecy Nash has made it clear that she ain't came out of nothing, honey. Um, And so, but when, when their wedding was announced and they had those like, those rainbow shoes, it was white shoes with the, the bottom of it. The sole of the shoe was a rainbow. Um, and you know, you go look at those photos and like that, you, that's an advertisement, honey. Right. Or like, I'm thinking of, um, even so much of the, the conversation around Elvira right now, right. She has been in a relationship with a woman for the past 15 years and there, she's got a book coming out. And so this information is in the book and I guess the public did not know this. And so now there's just so much conversation around her and it just feels that feels off to me. Like it feels seedy, right? Like it feels, it feels unequal ultimately, right? Because I'm thinking of Shaquan when Shaquan when Shaquan came out as a black trans woman in Atlanta, Georgia, right? Did nobody bring her no motherfucking check, right? Did nobody put her in no campaign? I'm I'm curious, where are you on the Nisi Nash story? Because it seemed you touched on that and then moved on, but like. How is she identifying? Because I, I feel like I remember her talking about this shortly thereafter, but like, how is she identifying and how is it resonating with you? I don't think she's used any language. Like, I don't think she said lesbian. I don't think she said queer. I don't think she said anything. She's, she's like, I just fell in love with a woman. She's like, I'm in love with her. Yeah, like I fell in love with a woman, period, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which, you know, we can we can dissect that, you know, another day. Um, but like the goal, right, is that, you know, for the folks, like in terms of like the society, the promised land that we're all working towards is it's one where like the people who want to use labels can use labels and the people who don't want to use labels don't have to use labels. As you talk about like the commercialization of coming out, um, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by like how that works for people. Right. Um, I, I hadn't really given that a lot of thought before you said that. I'm thinking about the ways in which we saw like Lil Nas X everywhere when he came. I mean, he was already everywhere, but when he came out, he was, you know, all, in all these different advertisements. When Caitlyn Jenner, when when she was going through her, you know, very public transition, right? She revealed herself on the cover of Vanity Fair, right? And we can talk about the socio-political kind of cultural um, impact of things like that, but I I, I don't know that the that visibility and that celebrity aspect that is is foisted on those individuals who come out translates into, you know, what we on the ground need or, you know, that 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 thing that is supposed to inspire us or encourage us to keep going. I'm just not sure it connects in the ways that it seems like folks think it do. Hmm. I think the strand is not direct, right? Like, I don't think it feels direct and immediate and always as tangible. Um, But like, I think about the ways that, you know, if we're thinking about queer culture over, over even just our lifetimes, um, you have to look at like Ellen DeGeneres coming out on television. And then you think about Will and Grace, and then you think about marriage equality. And then you think about, you know, Obama and marriage equality and all that. Uh, We've heard Joe Biden say that like Will and Grace had Will and Grace, you know, not been on television at the time that it was, we probably wouldn't have gotten marriage equality. And so, like, it's indirect in the way that, like, it is a commercialized thing. And even if we think about Caitlyn Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, Jesus Christ. Um, I was one of the only people that really liked that show that I knew because I thought that, like, it was just really honest about, like, how, how much she did not know. Mind you, she ended up becoming a really conservative. But, like, even that, I felt like shifted culture a bit and people um, started having conversations about what this experience must be. So I feel like it does have a value. I'm not, I'm not saying it has no value. What I'm saying is that I, who, who is the value and the impact actually, actually touching? Because even in the examples that you brought up, right, I would classify Caitlyn Jenner 
and Ellen DeGeneres, the human being coming out, that's in one category. All of these, uh, you know, Will and Grace, the, the media representations, the fictional characters, I categorize that differently, right? Um, because it is those characters, those shows that is credited with eventually leading to, to marriage equality because, and, and Glee is another one. I think Modern Family is often thrown into that mix as well. Queer, queer, queer as folk. Um, so like all of those are there. Noah's Ark, the iconic Noah's Ark. Um, but I'm, I'm specifically talking about the coming out of an individual, right? And I think what you were bringing up in terms of like Caitlyn Jenner, um, I, I put Ellen in a different category because she came out as a person and came out as the character in tandem. Um, and sure, so like yeah. Caitlyn Jenner is a different example. Lil Nas X would be a different example. I'm also thinking about all these athletes, right, who have come out over the last, I don't know how many years, right, whether yeah. they're in in the game still or not. Um, and, I, you know, I'm sure there is somebody out there, right, who is saying that like, you know, Caitlyn Jenner coming out helped me come out, right? Um, in my experience, though, and this is deep, this is, is specifically about Travel. the things that were more demonstrative to me in my life were not an individual's coming out, but how an individual showed up and moved through the world as whoever they were, right? And in my head, at, at least, I, I separate the two. Um, maybe they're not separated in reality, right? But that's that's how I'm thinking of it. I was just saying it just always feels, you know, odd to me how we, particularly us as journalists, flock to to these instances and even and even trying to spill people's tea, right? Like the so much about this commercialization and glamorization of coming out. Um, does not take into account, right, the other side of it, which is the outing that takes place a lot of times. And then two, um, I shouldn't say a lot of times, sometimes. Um, and then two, the ways in which we as the media and even us as regular Degla Schmegla people feel like we are catching somebody doing something nefarious because we did not know they were fucking somebody of the same sex. Preach. That's good. I think that's really interesting. I think as we look at like real people versus characters, there's an interesting distinction there. That only DeGeneres thing is 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 interesting. But I, I guess what I hear you saying the most is that you will uh, that you have always been more moved by the representation in life of a person who is queer or trans or whatever than like the moment of them coming out about it. Yes, and then I would go a step further and say that. One, my feelings could change on all of this. Y'all better not hold me to it. Give me, you know, because in a couple years I might feel differently. But I'm also thinking about the ways in which very much often tethered to this uh, uh, conversation of coming out is the idea that like it gets better after you come out. And I feel like the celebrity aspect and the glamorization aspect of, of, of coming out for those highly visible people dupes motherfuckers into thinking that it's going to be rosy and going to be, for some people, it is rosy. For some people, it do get better. But for some people, it don't get better. For some people, they don't, they don't make it the next year, right? And, and, and I don't know. I don't, I, maybe this is too, too, too realistic, like two boots on the ground or whatever. But like it, it, I'm interested in having full conversations about what coming out looks like for people who don't necessarily have the privilege and the access of these more notable examples that we are able to pull. No, absolutely. <sighs> this was a heavy one. <laughs> like, I don't, baby, I'm sweating over here, honey. I got puddles baby, on. Baby, I need a nap. <laughs> Give me a sandwich. <laughs> we want to know what y'all think. You can tweet at us or post on Instagram as well uh, using the hashtag FantiFam or hit us up at FantiPodcast, both on Twitter and Instagram. Coming up, why y'all hate us so much in listener feedback and our dishonorable mentions. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Excuse me, everybody. I just uh, wanted to say a few words about the beautiful couple. I've known you two for a long time, and 
you get along like peanut butter and chocolate. Or, you know, like like uh, comedy and culture, like uh, Maximum Fun podcasts. <laughs> Actually, they're having a block party from October 11th to October 22nd. And that's kind of like your party, right? You have a community of friends and family, and Max Fun has a community of shows and audiences that support them. You're having a new start with your life together, and Max Fun will be putting out new episodes that are especially welcoming to new audiences. So it's a great time to introduce your friends to your favorite show or jump into one you haven't tried Is before. He still talking about podcasts? And they're setting up a volunteer event where we can help out our local communities. Plus, Maximum Fun is going to have games, prizes, Episode Rex, so much other fun stuff. What's wrong with Kyle? Is he okay? Oh, <laughs> anyways, anyways, sorry for getting carried away there. If it's all right with everybody here, let's all raise our glasses for a toast to the Max Fun Block <sighs> Party, which you can learn more about at maximumfun.org slash block party, and don't forget to join in on October 11th. Actually, that... That sounds pretty cool. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. We're going to get into our listener feedback. We have a rather, you know, lengthy email that I'm going to chop up um, from an anonymous listener. This is in response to our episode last week on Mrs. Minaj. Um, So, content warning, FYI, okay? So the writer says, I am both somebody's wife and a, and a survivor of sexual violence. I was struck by Travell's question about the responsibility Nikki has to Kenny as her husband. Short answer, I believe Nikki can honor the man Kenny is today, her partner and father of her child, and her decision to be partnered with him without saying anything ever about the event in question or the victim. She cannot and should not be expected to explain or defend his past. No spouse ever should, but she had to know it would come up and decided to forever connect herself to him. That is an L she has to take. As Garrick shared, the problem with Nikki is that she resists anything she sees as criticism. She's a super sensitive bully. Because of that, Nikki has seemingly just added Kenny's history to her armor as another thing people criticize her for instead of taking the opportunity to reflect on what she could learn about what is being said. This approach is ludicrous and I have concerns about how this landed on Nikki fans who are, who are survivors. Um, she's, th this person says, I do think it's worth noting that in the event that your partner is accused of violence during your relationship, I think, quote unquote, defending, defending them can look different. Um, the writer goes on to say a number of other things, talking about how we, we spoke on the show about, you know, what the conversations were between Nikki and her husband about the, uh, uh, about the violence in question. Um, and the writer says, if I were Nikki, I would have had my own conversation with my lawyers, publicists, and broader team about how my association with this man would affect my brand. It sounds harsh, but it is the reality, especially given Nikki's brother, who has also been convicted of, convicted of sexual violence, which is something we forgot to mention. I totally forgot about that. Completely forgot. Yeah, but that's that adds a whole other layer to this. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the writer finishes by saying she, she being Nikki should never have said anything about this, reached out to the alleged victim to harass or bribe her or tried to suppress his history for her own benefit. There's no world where that should have happened for this reason. I think fans should be really concerned. She isn't worthy of your admiration. Nikki Minaj is a rape apologist. If you are a stan, so are you at this point. As you know, I don't always go back and listen to every episode because bitch, I'm here. Um, but like I ended up listening back to the episode that we did last week with Garrick on Nicki Minaj and I feel like my opinion of Nicki Minaj has shifted just by like listening to the episode again um, because like I kept trying to make space for well what if she's you know getting bad information or what if she's you know mm -hmm. and like I I want to continue to root for her but like okay so as journalists in the last five years, we've had to make this distinction between something not being true and it being a lie. Y'all have had to. Right? And so, like... In the, uh, uh not me, honey. In the Trump era, we've had to, like, make a distinguishment between um, something is a lie if you know it is untrue and you tell it. Something is untrue 
or, or you said something that wasn't true if it is not correct, but you don't know it, right? Mm-hmm. I can't say that Nikki is lying because I don't know what Nikki knows, but it it is certainly true that Nikki has told us a story that was not true. And is maintaining- And maintains that, right? A story that is not true. At the very least, we've been told a story that's not true, and it has had, you know, very significant consequences for a person who was a victim in this case. Yeah. And so it changes that for me. Um, but I appreciate the letter. Um, thank you for sending it in. It's now time for us to get into our dishonorable mentions. These are the stories of people that caught our attention this week, either for their good or for their stupid. They deserve a call out. Um, for me, I want to shout out We're Here Season 2. This is not an ad, even though HBO Max has paid us in the past. Um, but like, uh, I'm really excited about We're Here Season 2. I loved Season 1 of the show, yes. and I'm really, really excited to see the new season. I think that they do they do something that Queer Eye does really well, but I think better and more entertainingly, right? You're um, saying We're Here does it better. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. like, Queer Eye does it in a way that that touches you and, like, from a story position, but, like, um, We're Here just touches you in such a different way, and I just think it's such a beautiful show. So yeah. really excited about that. Make sure you guys check it out. Um, I believe it comes back on October 11th. Um, also want to shout out Tabitha Brown, who y'all probably know from the social medias, um, who has one of the most soothing voices you've ever heard and is like famously black and vegan. Um, her new book is called Feeding the Soul because it's my business, finding our way to love, joy, and freedom. Her book just came out and, um, I saw a post from her. Uh, It was a, a post of Times Square and there's an enormous billboard with her face on it. And she was like having a moment about seeing her face up in Times Square um, for a book that she'd written. So I appreciated that and just was really excited to see that moment for her. So um, shout out to Tabitha Brown. Yes, make sure if you're going going to get your copy, make sure you get it from a Black-owned, potentially queer-owned bookstore. Shout out to the Reparations Club in LA. I bought it last week. Um, Is that it for you? That's it. Okay, so I've got three honorable mentions. Um, the first one goes to is it actually comes from a listener, Jennifer, who hipped us to this headline: um, First, all Black American expedition to climb Mount Everest hopes to encourage next generation. So the first all Black group of folks who are insane and want to climb Mount Everest will be embarking on their expedition um, next year, early next year. And so I thought that was a really interesting story so shout out to those black folks black americans um there i I, you won't see me scaling the mountain but i wish the best for you okay i don't hardly want to go up runyon and you talking about mount everest maybe i don't want to go up the stairs that's why i take the elevator like what why would i do that (laughs) secondly i want to give an honorable mention to i'm calling him daddy domingo from now on Mm. also known as coleman domingo it was announced earlier today that he is playing bayard rustin in the film rustin written um co-written by george c wolf and dustin lance black and directed by george c wolf it also stars glenn turman it also stars audra mcdonald i am ready for this we've got to have coleman on the show to talk about that when it comes out period (laughs) yeah done also shout out to mark wright who was one of the executive producers used to be at macro is now at higher ground which is the obama's production company um so shout out to him a wonderful black queer film executive um who's working on the film and then last but not least i want to i so I told y'all that I bought Tabitha's book last week from um, Reparations Club. I also bought um, a variety of other books, including Gabrielle Union's new book. We're going to need something stronger or something like that. Well, the first one is we're going to need more wine. The second book is you got anything stronger. Yes, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, got the book and I was struggling to get through it, not because it's a bad, you know, read or whatever, but because, you know, sitting down to physically read is a lot for me. Okay. Um, and so you want to know what I did? I texted Jared and I said, Jared, what, what audiobook app do you use? And you said, I just use books from, you know, Apple, books by Apple, whatever mm-hmm. they call. And I said, oh, okay. So I went to the books by Apple app and I bought the audiobook of 
Gabrielle Union reading her book, okay? And when I tell you it has changed my life, I am basically done with the book. Uh-huh. And I was lis- I put it on listening to it while um, packing, because as you know, I'm moving. And so I just wanted to take an opportunity to, one, note that, you know, earlier in the life of this show... I might have given Jared a little bit of shit about audiobooks, okay? Mm-hmm. And some mm-hmm. one one listener, I can't believe I can't remember if it was on Twitter or if it was an email, but a listener called me ableist <laughs> because I, you know, w- was saying that listening to an audiobook is not the same thing as physically reading. And they were right, okay? And so I'm just coming back now on the record over the airwaves to say she loves her an audiobook. <laughs> wow. Okay. I did not see this coming. Um, what a moment. I literally was in my car listening to the audiobook and did not want to come home and drove across this entire fucking city list- just listening to the book. Isn't it so great? I feel transformed. Now, I still have a problem because I can't, if I, you know, I get advanced copies for some stuff. They don't have advanced copies of the audiobook, right? Listen, getting advanced copies of an audiobook is really, really difficult. I got, I just did an interview with someone that'll come out next month or later this month. They sent me a 400 page PDF 36 hours before the interview. I can't. And I was like, so we won't be talking about this, right? But anyway. <laughs> um, I love that you said that. I did not see this coming. Um, full disclosure, I didn't know that it was going to be a not apology. Um, <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Shout out to the Apologies episode. (laughs) Listen, right, right. Okay, very nice. All right. We are way over time and probably really pissing off the executives. Um, So we got to keep it moving. Uh, From those honorable mentions, we've got to move over to... Black history is happening every From the film Camp, Tiffany Taylor's performance of Here's Where I Stand was actually a really pivotal moment in my life. Um, I was already struggling with trying to come out, and this was a song that I played again and again and again, encouraging me to finally um, uh, put that letter on my mom's door. I played it, like, all day one day. Uh, We have, like, a clip from the song because it is an iconic moment in Black history for both Travell and I. My God. Oh, yes. Baby, here's where I stand. If you have not seen this movie, I need you to see this movie. Oh, my God. First of all, they are singing in this movie. Sasha Allen. What's his name? Robin Robin DeJesus. Yeah. Um, He plays the lead um, fabulously. This was also one. uh, Well, finish telling your story. Then I'll tell mine. Well, I was going to say, I played the song like from my parents after I had come out. I played it for my mom and my stepdad. um, Because like we were going through all of this like you know, turmoil about Christianity and I need to be delivered and all this other shit. Um, and so I played this song for my mom because I wanted her to hear my heart. I wanted to use the artistry to, you know, get the story across. Um, so I played it for my mom and then like the song was over and my mom looks at me and says, so what am I supposed to do with that? I can Oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, no. It's one of my favorite stories <laughs> we okay. should we should say that we love our parents and like things are different now for all of us. Listen, right. My mom, <laughs> I, I have like a newfound appreciation for just how fantastic my mom is. But like in that moment, she was not with shit. Listen, I love this movie. If this conversation piqued your interest and you want more of all of this, good, good. Check out other episodes that have a related conversation. I think if you love the conversation in this episode, it's gotta be when gospel music slaps and leaves a mark featuring Michael Chan, episode eight, 
um, one of the more personal episodes that really have a lot about um, our experiences in them. Um, we thank you so much for listening. We ask if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Let us know what you think about the show, what you love about it, why you think we're so fantastic or why you think Travel is crazy. Um, if you have a comment, a suggestion or anything to do with this week's show, you can tweet at us using at Fansai Podcast. It also works over on, on Instagram as well, at Fansai Podcast. Use the hashtag Fansai. Yes, and as always, you can send us an email at Fansai at MaximumFun.org. And if you'd like to become a financially contributing member of the Fansai fam, you can do that at MaximumFun.org slash join. Music is brought to you by the one and only Core Reese. That's C-O-R dot E-C-E, wherever you get slay where the audio and our graphics are done by the wonderful folks over at Moonhouse Creative, led by the one and only Ashley went. Also, shout out to our producer, Lorraine, who also be pulling it together on the social medias and the graphics as well. Our producers are <clears throat> Laura Swisher <laughs> and Lorraine Wait! <laughs> not it. No, it. why would you do that? That doesn't well, make no trying- sense. Listen, we're trying out new ones every week. I gotta just try to figure out what it's gonna be. What is wrong with you? I, we haven't figured it out. This is a production <laughs> of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported. Stand up and be a culture.